Okay, let's read through our chapter today and we'll pray and we'll um, talk about why you cannot be Jesus' disciple. That's <laughs> what he said. That's what he said. <clears throat> now it happened. As he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on Shabbat, on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely, and behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus, answering, spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on Shabbat, on the Sabbath? They kept silent, and he took him and healed him and let him go. Then he answered them, saying, Which of you, having a donkey or an ox that's fallen into a pit, will not immediately pull him out on on Shabbat, on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding regarding these things. So, he told a parable to those who were invited, when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, don't sit down in the best place lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, Give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, Friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And he also said to him who invited him, When you give a dinner or a supper, don't ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many and uh, sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord uh, began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. And and the servant said, Master, it's done as you've commanded, and still there's room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Now great multitudes went with him. And he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. 
For which of you, intending to build a tower, doesn't sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest, after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, doesn't sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well then, let's pray. Father, as we have already prayed, as we have been singing, it is really a presence that we have needed. desperately need this revelation from your word so that we can know you, God, the immutable, unchanging one who was and is and is to come. Thank you for being with us. We haven't deserved it. Praise you. <laughs> I praise you for your patient and steadfast love toward, uh, toward us. Thank you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Alright guys, look with me back at the beginning of Luke 14. I've been talking to you repeatedly about this concept of of, um, Jesus being the Messiah of Israel and the great prophet promised by uh, Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. 
and of how uh, as he's presenting the kingdom of the heavens, the kingdom of God to Israel, they are in fact rejecting that kingdom. While there's a remnant, a small group who believe him, the majority of the nation is rejecting him. Paul picks up this theme, this idea in the book of uh, Romans, particularly, particularly in Romans 9, 10, and 11, as he lays out there this reality of God's sovereignty and of God's power and authority and of how God does what he wants. And so uh, he talks about how blindness in part has happened to Israel. Some in Israel believed, the majority did not at this time. And the Messiah was crucified, uh, that our sins might be uh, done away, and that this great news of God's kingdom would go beyond simply Israel, and then be also uh, presented in this wonderful way to the nations, uh, as the Jews would call the nations the Goyim, or the Gentiles, right? the other nations uh, besides uh, the nation of Israel, so that God would unite together in one body both Jewish person and non-Jewish person in this thing that we call the church, that God would make for himself this thing that he refers to as the bride of the Messiah, and this incredible picture we see is this this bride adorned coming down out of the heavens, the city of Jerusalem, we see that in the book of Revelation, this incredible, uh, wonderful, wonderful vision that uh, John receives of the uh, bride prepared, so... Uh, anyhow, um, part of what we've been dealing with is this reality that Israel is rejecting the Messiah. And a lot of what Jesus is dealing with and talking to them about is related to that very thing. They're rejecting him. And so judgment is coming. Now, he addresses uh, on numerous occasions issues related to their traditions. Uh, one of the problems, if I could say it that way, one of the problems uh, amongst uh, the people of Israel here at this time was uh, they were... Uh, they had elevated oral traditions uh, and made them comparable to the law and the the written law of of Moses. Now, I want to make sure that you understand that this was a commonly held belief. In fact, still is that that uh, amongst some Jewish uh, people that God not only gave what we have written as the Torah, not only did He give the law to Moses as a written code, He also gave an oral code to Moses that was handed down orally, separate from the Torah, okay? And these oral traditions passed from generation to generation to generation, and uh, some of them are, are uh, for me at least, for lack of a better term, fairly wild. But the idea was that they were to be interpretations of the law, to help us, to help us understand how we're to keep the law, how we're to obey the law. Uh, but in fact, uh, they were, uh, had become perversions of, the, of God's heart, of God's intent in the law. And Jesus uh, clearly expressed that repeatedly. One of those was related to this idea of Shabbat, or Sabbath, was God's commandment to Israel to remember the Sabbath day, a commandment that God gave at Mount Sinai when God spoke audibly to the nation of Israel, uh, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. In six days, God said he created everything. On the seventh day, he rested, and therefore Israel was to rest on the Sabbath, uh, they were to, uh, to take a break. So uh, these Sabbath traditions had developed over time. And so what, what, what it meant to work, what it meant to take a break, what it meant to not work, how we could remember or honor the Sabbath day, uh, how, how they could as, as um, followers of Jehovah, followers of, of um, the God of Israel, how they could honor the Sabbath day. Uh, but it came to be that these traditions eventually could put you in a position of saying, well, I don't do this thing, and you do it, and therefore you're wrong and bad. 
and then lead us to actually disobey the law where the law says to love your neighbor as yourself. And we could then do harm to the people around us. (laughs) We could um, neglect them, uh, whether it's harm as in intentional harm or whether it's harm as simply omission of doing good, right? Uh, which is really what a lot of these issues are that Jesus deals with. It isn't so much about them frequently. It isn't so much about them intending to do harm to someone so much as it is about them uh, criticizing Jesus, uh, suggesting that, uh, that he is sinning by doing good to somebody on the Sabbath day, by healing, because that's quote-unquote work according to their traditions. But not healing somebody on the Sabbath day might simply be omission. Omission of doing what is good, rather than intentionally doing something that is evil, right? It isn't so much that um, they're criticizing Jesus for uh, going and harming somebody, right? And Jesus isn't really uh, dealing with that. So much as dealing with the reality that they were unwilling to see that God would work in ways different than what their traditions held. Something that I think is wise for us to be cautious about. I think it's good for us to question the things that we do just because we do them. Now it happened, as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on Shabbat, on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely. (laughs) I love this. Hopefully you get the scene that Luke is painting for us. They're, um, They're trying to catch him, right? They're trying to find things to criticize him about. They're trying to discredit uh, this this uh, rabbi, this teacher. So they watched him closely. Behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. I went for a hundred years. Just kidding, I'm not that old, obviously. I went for a long time not knowing what dropsy was. Uh, for a long time. So dropsy is just an older term for what is, at least in modern parlance, called edema. Okay, edema is a fluid buildup. Uh, uh, in uh, areas in your body. It can be for numerous reasons, sometimes in feet, uh, sometimes in, in, uh, in the belly and other areas. Uh, so dropsy is an older term that refers to that idea of fluid buildup inside of the body in, in some particular area. Okay? So this person had edema, or dropsy. And Jesus, answering, spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, is it lawful to heal on Shabbat? Now, a couple things about the way that Luke paints this picture for us is that uh, we have no mention here of the person coming and asking Jesus to be healed. We have no mention of the person of their faith. We have no mention of any of those things that sometimes we see in these healing scenarios. But this one in particular is centered around Jesus wanting to do something to challenge, purposefully challenge the traditions of the elders. He is the instigator. Do you see that? He is the one who's beginning this. Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on Shabbat? They were watching him, yes, but he's purposefully eliciting this situation. He is making, he's creating contention. But the contention is around around their unwillingness to understand the heart of God and caring for people and, and having compassion. And in Jesus' presentation of his kingdom, there is a kingdom, the kingdom of the heavens, where there is no more sickness and death, and Jesus is presenting this glorious kingdom to them. He's giving them glimpses of it. But they kept silent. <laughs> is it lawful to heal on Shabbat? I mean, 
Nobody, nobody says yes. It's lawful to heal on Shabbat. They'd already, they'd already criticized Jesus in the past for healing on Shabbat, right? Healing on Sabbath. So they kept silent, and so Jesus took him, and he healed him, and he let him go. A couple things about just the way that's written. He took him, like he, he embraced him, in one way or another, healed him, and then let him go. One of the things that's very precious to me as I go through the scriptures is the reality of, of human contact and the way that Jesus uses even that the, there's a heaviness in, in human contact. That's one of the things that I noticed over the last year, like when we were kind of separated from everybody to a, a very, very large degree for extended periods of time. I remember the first time I actually like gave somebody a hug after that. I was kind of like, whoa, like there's, there's heaviness. There's weight to this human contact. Right? And I love that about the way that Jesus frequently does uh, these healings. Even so far, going so far uh, as to touch untouchables like lepers uh, and others. They kept silent, and he took him and healed him and let him go. Then he answered them, saying, Which of you, having a donkey or an ox that's fallen, that has fallen into a pit, will not immediately pull him out on Shabbat? And they couldn't answer him regarding these things. So, Jesus, after healing this person, he's instigating this situation as a, an opportunity to teach. Uh, this person is the beneficiary of this, obviously. His edema, his dropsy is being healed. Um, but uh, the real focus of the text isn't even on the healing. It's on the challenge of, against the traditions of the elders that would say, no, 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 you can't do that thing. That what thing? Oh, do something good for somebody? Heal somebody? You can't do that. Oh, because it's Shabbat. That dishonors God. It dishonors God to heal someone? Because of the day the healing takes place? Oh, but that was the, the foolishness that their traditions had, had elevated them to. God, God, keep us from that with our traditions. They couldn't answer him regarding these things because the reality was yeah if they were walking with their donkey on the Sabbath day and he happened to fall into a pit they would grab him and pull him out of the pit right everybody's like well, of course we do that right oh but Jesus can't heal this person on Shabbat oh because that violates Sabbath there may be and have been uh, in uh, our Christian traditions as those who follow Jesus. There have been uh, these codes, sometimes written, sometimes not, of regulations that God never gave. And we have turned people away from the great news of Jesus' perfect kingdom at times simply because people violated our traditions. They wouldn't embrace what our elders told us. Never mind that it had nothing to do with the writings. Never mind that it had nothing to do with the scriptures. Please don't misunderstand me. I don't think it's wise to throw something out simply because those before us believed in it. <laughs> Rather, I think it's wise for us to examine, to learn, and to hold fast to what is true. And to talk among other things, to talk about these things. Um, 
I, I remember a situation where somebody literally would have nothing to do with me because they found out that I had tattoos. Like it was anathema that I had tattoos. And, and it was because of the tradition that they had been taught that if you uh, tattoo your body, that you uh, that it's very, very grievous, a sin. Essentially, for some, even that you are like outside of the kingdom for that very thing, right? Um, but I think that we need to uh, be cautious about those things. Whether or not something is, you know, our personal preference um, or not, is fine, and that's a different issue. Uh, but but what weight do we give those traditions? That's the question that I think we ought to make sure that we carefully address. Uh, before we move to the next section, here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that God wants you to do good things for people and to share with them the key. If God gives you faith to pray for someone to be healed, then do it. God gives them faith to be healed, then, then pray for them. <laughs> Ask that God would do that. God wants us to do he wants us to love our neighbor as ourself also that means that I should love my spouse <laughs> and by love I don't mean have a feeling of love I mean do acts of love act in a way that is loving that's what I mean by love also I believe that God wants me to love my children and my parents and my cousins and my aunts and uncles and my friends and people in my community that I may never see again who are in front of me at the checkout line taking too long or driving and they don't go immediately when the light turns green or they turn in front of me when I'm driving and I'm going straight and they turned right right in front of me and I had to slow down more than I wanted to I just think God wants us to act in love toward everyone. also means uh, that we can share what God has given to us so that others can have. Uh, and one of the illustrations that we're going to come to is this idea of, uh, because Jesus taught us this firmly, uh, this idea of sharing with people who can't share back with you, right? Like, not sharing with somebody just because they can give something back to you. Not the tit-for-tat sort of, you know, quid pro quo sort of thing, right? But uh, but the um, giving, expecting nothing in return, that's actually the phrase Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount. So he told a parable to those who were invited. This is still at that dinner at Shabbat in the uh, ruler of the Pharisees' house. So he told a parable to those who were invited, uh, when he noted how they chose the best places. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> you can imagine Jesus sitting there watching everybody come in and sit down at the table, and like there's like sort of a head of the table and like a butt of the table, if you could think of it that way. There's like a, there's like a place of prominence, right, and then the place of the not so prominent <laughs> area, you know. Uh, <laughs> and so Jesus is watching them come in and sit down, and he sees, he notes how they chose the best seats. Uh, the best place that's saying then when you are invited 
by anyone to a wedding feast, don't sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invites you and him come and say, you give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place, right? You imagine, right? You go and you're having dinner with, let's say you get invited to have dinner with President Biden, and you go and you sit down like in President Biden's chair, right? Like, like maybe you knew, maybe you didn't know, but you go and you sit down in the president's chair, the place where the president was, was going to sit and eat. And then all of a sudden, somebody has to come to you, like, walking with President Biden, and they're like, hey, bro, that's not your seat, bro, that's the president's seat, you know? And then you're like, mm, and you hang your head in shame, and you get up and walk down to the lower seats, <laughs> you know, where the little people like you and I can sit. <laughs> right? Like, that's the, that's the scene that Jesus is painting for us here. Keep in mind that this is a parable, this is an illustration he's using to teach to teach us a point. And the point, to me, seems to be related to the way that we think about ourselves. He who invited you, verse 9, as we read, he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man, and you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you, comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Oh, you see, that's the place you want to be, right? You want to be where, like, you sit way lower than, like, maybe where the person who actually gave the invitation, like, they have a better seat for you, but you want to put yourself in the lower seat, right? So that he'll come and he'll be like, hey, that's not your seat. Come sit up here in this place. That's the better place than sitting up in the front and having the master come and be like, no, 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 that's not your seat. <laughs> Go sit back there, mister. No. Friend, go up higher. Then you'll have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. Right? It's a very practical illustration. Uh, it, it's one that uh, certainly would, would, um, there would be understanding uh, amongst the people uh, related to, to this concept of where they were sitting. But he said it because he noticed that um, the people <clears throat> who were coming to the ruler of the Pharisee's house, uh, he noticed that they were um, choosing the best places to sit rather than uh, sitting maybe in a lower place and then allowing the, the person who was leading the uh, dinner to say, no, 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 come sit in this other place. Um, this principle of the king of God's kingdom that Jesus uh, ends this least paragraph here with, for whoever exalts himself, verse 11 says, will be humbled, and he humbles himself will be exalted. This um, paradox of God's kingdom really is different than the world that says, the world around us that says, no, 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 you've got to take what's yours. You've got to... Uh, it's interesting the way that we... Um, if you talk about, like, freelance uh, work sometimes, and people talk about, like, how much they charge for their services and things like that, uh, sometimes people will say, if they charge a lot, they'd be like, you charge what you're worth. You know? Like, that sort of thing. And you're like, well, <laughs> how do I even set that? <laughs> Jesus is intentionally teaching me to think less of myself than of the people around me. Do you understand that? He's saying, you take the lower seats. Don't, don't assume that you should get the best seat. Put yourself, 
when you think about yourself in relation to the people around you, let me say it the way Paul says it, esteem others better than yourself. This is, this is what Jesus is teaching here. And Paul says it that way. Uh, I want to read that section to you in just a second. Here. Because whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and uh, he who humbles himself will be exalted. That simply is true. God will do that very thing. James 4, 6 says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. First uh, Peter 5, 5 um, mentions the same uh, quotation. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Um, let me read to you from Philippians chapter 2. Uh, this is uh, one of Paul's letters. <clears throat> Therefore, Paul says, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. You're thinking high of yourself, being conceited. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. This is reflective of that illustration, that parable that Jesus gave, of saying when you go to a feast, don't choose the best seat, because you're there with other people. Automatically assume that they should get better seats than you. That's the idea here. Make that assumption. Then if the master of the feast wants you to sit in a better place, he'll make that happen. He'll do that for you. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out, not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. What Jesus seems to be addressing here is a heart attitude that I think all of us ought to address, is this reality that we think a lot of ourselves. You like yourself. You love yourself. (laughs) You just do. (laughs) We do. Even as... as even if we are critical of ourselves, we still are in the place where we're thinking so much of ourselves that we're incredibly self-critical. Because we're like, I should be better. Well, you're still thinking about you, right? You're not, you're not paying attention to the people around you. <laughs> oh, by the way, yes, that's always true. We should always be better. It's true about all of us. Jesus is teaching me to view myself and my relationship to other people in a way that is different than what comes naturally to me. Naturally, I esteem myself better than others. I think about myself more. And in many ways, there's a natural reality to that. I know myself better than other people, than I know other people, right? There are things about me and inside of me that other people don't know, they don't understand, right? And there are things about them that I don't know or understand, of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. When it comes to service and a faithfulness in God's kingdom, Jesus teaches us that it looks like something very different uh, than what uh, 
the systems of the world teach us. This is why, as a husband, I can faithfully serve my wife, whether or not she does any particular thing, whether or not she does what is right or what is wrong is irrelevant. I can still faithfully serve God. I can humble myself. Trust that God will make all things right. My children, the same is true. With our community, with our city, the same is true. If Jesus is teaching us to give so that so that your left hand doesn't even know what your right hand is doing, <laughs> if Jesus is teaching us uh, to um, to lend, to give, expecting nothing in return. Which, I think I mentioned it a week or two ago, kind of throws a wrench in the idea of like, saying, well, we're going to feed the poor as long as they come listen to our thing. You know, we've got to have some sort of return on, if we're going to spend money to help somebody, you know, we've got to have some kind of return on it or whatever. Jesus teaches us that we're to give, um, um, expecting nothing in return. And part of the reason for that isn't just that it benefits the other people. It does that, right? It can benefit other people when we share financially or share in some other way with them. Uh, But also what it does is it it combats, it fights in our own hearts our covetousness. And that's something that, that you need to fight. It's one of those sin issues that you and I don't like to deal with because it's just a reality that all of us face, right? Sometimes we focus so much on some of these external sin issues that we neglect things like pride, covetousness. Thinking so much of ourselves and and then wanting something we don't have that God hasn't given to us. And we make choices based on those kinds of desires within us. all the while looking down on the person struggling with some external thing that we can put our finger on and say, well, I can't believe they did that. Whoever exalts himself will be brought down, will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. God's kingdom, there are going to be a lot of surprises when the fullness of his kingdom comes. I want you to be aware of that. Then he also said to him, invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper, the person who invited him to dinner or supper, uh, he also said to him, when you give a dinner or a supper, don't ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite poor. Invite maimed. Um, or somebody who's crippled is the idea of being maimed. Uh, we don't, we're like, oh, look, there's a maimed person. We're like, that person's you know, disabled, I'm not saying. <laughs> um, when you give a feast, invite poor, invite maimed, invite lame, invite blind, and you will be blessed. Because they can't repay you. I hope that, if nothing else, you get the focus here. Jesus is teaching us to think differently about the way that we live in the world and in the community that we're a part of. 
we shouldn't be viewing it as a tit for tat, as a let me serve the people that can repay me. This person is nice to me, so I'm going to be nice to them. Or this person can invite me over, so I'm going to invite them over. But, but do good to the people who don't do that. Reach out, be hospitable, love strangers. These are the exhortations that we receive because this is what God has done. And it's God working in us to do these things for the community that we're a part of. It's God working through us to accomplish what He wants. But in many ways, this brings me back to that really pivotal, central issue of whose kingdom I'm after. Am I after the kingdom of the heavens? Is that the direction of my life? Or is it some other thing? Am I being caught up in the flood of the broad gate that just leads to destruction. So many of the, the direction of the lives of the people that, that, that were around, it seems at the end of those things that, that we are sacrificing so much for is just nothing. If everything you see will melt with fervent heat, what is it that really matters? I'm challenged to say, Lord, what do I believe? What do I really believe? Jesus said, when we invite those who can't repay us, then we'll be blessed. That is blessedness. They can't repay you. You'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And by the way, I like the end of that because it reminds us of this focus of the New Testament. The more time you spend reading the writings of the New Testament, the more you will see that the attention of every single one of those disciples of Jesus was this thing called the revelation of Jesus and the resurrection. That there is a fullness of the kingdom that Jesus gave us a glimpse of. There's a fullness of it that is coming. It is to be revealed. You shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. This is why I can do good, among other things. This is why I can do good, I can serve, I can sacrifice, even if nobody says thank you, even if nobody pays attention, even if I'm neglected, even if people don't come, whatever it is, I can keep on going because Jesus promised that he sees. This is why you can be faithful in your marriage, even when your spouse is is difficult. I know none of us have any issues with that, but I'm just saying it for other people that might hear this. <laughs> because because the Lord the Lord sees you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things he said to him blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God hey I want you to connect this idea Jesus ends what he said with you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just and this person is connecting that idea the resurrection of the just with what the kingdom, the fullness of the kingdom. I want you to make that connection because I think it's helpful for you in understanding as you're reading through the scriptures, understanding that reality. When one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come, for all things are now ready. For they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. 
Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it's done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. This is Jesus' response to this person saying, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God, in God's kingdom. Jesus' response is simply to say, keep in mind the context of what's happening in Jesus' life and ministry. He's presenting himself to Israel as their Messiah, presenting to them the kingdom, and they are rejecting it. Do you see that? Now, if you have that understanding, when you read this, you'll realize this is exactly what he's talking about here. The people who are invited said, no, 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 we can't do that yet. No, 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 oh, no, no. there's something else going on. Excuse after excuse after excuse. And so Jesus said in this parable, in this illustration, then just invite everybody. Just invite, invite the people who can't repay. Invite the same, this is the same crowd, by the way, that he had mentioned before when he was talking to the uh, ruler of the house, the uh, person who invited him, the ruler of the Pharisees, um, who invited him to dinner. This is the same group. The first part is the same group. He said that he should invite, bring in here the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. And then after that, uh, the, in Jesus' parable, in Jesus' illustration, the uh, person in this illustration says, there's still room. There's still room here. And so Jesus said, just go out wherever and just invite everybody to come. Um, This is another one of those illustrations of the reality of the presentation of the kingdom to Israel, of Israel's rejection of the kingdom, and of God then bringing in people from every nation, from every people, every group, being brought in. This is a number, there are a number of illustrations that show this. We've talked about several of them the past few weeks. This is another one uh, that says that. But here's the main point of this thing that I want to make to you. (laughs) It means that you can be a part of God's kingdom. You can, not by keeping Moses' law. The Gentiles can't do that. The Jews couldn't do it but by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Asking Him to forgive your sins, believing that He died on the cross for your sin, that He was buried and that God raised Him from the dead, where He now sits at the right hand of the Father, ready to receive anyone who will trust Him. The word that we preach to you is near you. It's in your mouth, the word of faith that we preach, that if you believe on the Lord Jesus with your heart, you believe that God has raised him from the dead, you confess with your mouth that you'll be saved, you'll be rescued. An illustration I thought of recently is one of which, uh, in which Jesus is the captain of a great ship, and we too are on a ship, not just you and me, but everyone, we're on a ship, and that ship is falling apart and sinking. You and I know it commonly as the world and everyone in it in which we live. The ship is sinking, but Jesus and the captain of his great perfect ship comes alongside and, and compels us, come out of the ship. But we're holding on to these 
weighty garments of our sin that hold us down and keep us there. And he says, I will take those things off of you. Come into my ship and leave them there. Come in with me into my kingdom and my place. He is, in fact, called the captain of our salvation. And I love that illustration because it helps me to remember that he is still here petitioning, not just for you and I, but for our friends and our neighbors to become a part of his kingdom. And while this other ship is crashing and burning... (laughs) His is not. And we may stay alongside the other ship for some season with Him, with the captain of our salvation, that we might compel others to join us. One day there is going to be a fullness of all that it means to be in His kingdom. And that is the thing that we're anticipating. That is what we're looking forward to, this thing uh, as Jesus uh, referred to as the resurrection of the just. I say to you that none of those men who are invited shall taste my supper. That's a a warning to Israel if I've ever heard one. Jesus is a prophet to his people. Don't you ever forget it. And it's words like that that cut to the heart. And and for some of them, cause them to say, no, no, I want to be in your kingdom. (laughs) I want to be at the supper. (laughs) Now great multitudes went with him. And he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me, and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Well, you cannot be his disciple. (laughs) If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, And his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Remember, disciple is an apprentice, is a learner, somebody who follows someone else, learning from them. This is what all Christians are, if in fact you are a Christian, you are a disciple of Jesus, an apprentice to him. I say it again, if anyone comes if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also he cannot be my disciple. Is Jesus teaching us that we're to hate people? No. Seems weird, right? As much as we talk about love, I know second of the great commandments is to love your neighbor as yourself. Certainly, my father and mother, my wife and children would qualify as neighbors, right? At the very least, they're near me. (laughs) Right? My brothers and sisters. Yes, and his own life also. Uh, I think sometimes for maybe not just for our culture, but I think it's true for our culture that some people might be able to hear the first part of Jesus saying, you've got to forsake all these other things, father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Uh, But that goes against modern psychology to say that you need to hate your own life also. In his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Is Jesus really teaching us to hate? stuff a <laughs> um, couple of things one is simply 
simply really to a language issue. Hate is the word that, that the, uh, translators chose uh, to use here. But uh, I don't think it's wrong. Um, I just want to make sure that we wrap our minds around this idea of um, this literary device called hyperbole. Right? Hyperbole. So, uh, Jesus is using very strong sort of um, dramatic language to illustrate the affections that he wants us to have. He is not saying anything different here than what Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Okay? Um, so, I want to read that for you really quickly. Just short section of Deuteronomy 6. <clears throat> Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And even before that, in the Ten Commandments passages, Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. Both of those are recitations of the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Not your father or your mother. Not your spouse or your children. Not your brothers or your sisters. Not even your own wife. You shall have no other gods before me. That is his command. Because he alone is God, the Almighty One. And you exist for him and by him. And by him all things exist. Jesus is not saying anything different than that. In fact, that's what he's saying. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Verse 27, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The cross is something that kills you. Right? Whoever doesn't take up his electric chair and follow me. Right? That's a modern uh, instrument of execution that we have used. This is an ancient instrument of execution. The cross one of which they would be familiar. I've never personally seen anyone crucified. I suppose I've never actually seen anyone in the electric chair either, only in TV shows. That's bad enough. Uh, but the illustration stands for us, that we are to take up our cross and follow him. If not, then we cannot be his disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost? whether he has enough to finish it. Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and wasn't able to finish. Ha ha. Okay. <laughs> They're mocking him. <laughs> uh, right? You imagine somebody being like, I'm going to build a great, a great, uh, whatever, a great castle or a great building or tower or whatever. And, and like you go and lay the foundation and you're like, oh man, I ran out of money. <laughs> like all that's there is the foundation. Everybody around you is like, look at that, look at that dummy, you know? Uh, an example of this, maybe, if you're familiar with it, is 
could be seen as like the I-4 eyesore. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Down uh, in the Orlando area on I-4, there's this building that has stood for ages, never to be completed. The thing's been there for, for years and years and years, and somebody started building it, and then they weren't able to finish. And it just is this... I, I don't even know what's happened to it now. I think somebody else bought it and maybe has finished it or was working on it, but it was there for years and years unfinished. It's that kind of idea. Um, <clears throat> so anyways, they were mocking in, in Jesus' illustration, saying this man began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, doesn't sit down first and consider whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000, right? you got an army of 10,000, the person you're fighting has an army of 20,000. You need to do some math here. Look, can our guys take the 20,000 guys, like, two on one? You know, can we, what, we, what sort of equipment do we have? You know, what's our preparation? That sort of stuff. This is the idea of being prepared for something. We have to consider it before we commit to it. That's the idea here that Jesus is laying out. It's a very normal, everyday sort of idea. Um, count the cost is the way that it's stated earlier, uh, right up above there. Uh, we have to count the cost. Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. Right? If you have 20,000 soldiers, or 10,000, and you're fighting somebody with 20,000, and you're not sure, you're not confident you can beat them, you might send a delegation out to be like, hey, what do we need to do to just like not fight? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what can we do to have uh, peace here? Um, so, like, what, what do we need to give you? Probably would be what, the, you know, what sort of tribute or whatever do we need to give you in order to avoid this battle of your 20,000 troops destroying our 10,000. So, anyways, uh, the idea, though, is a very plain one of being prepared before you commit to some particular thing, whether it's building, being prepared to make sure that you have enough to finish the thing that you're building, or whether, it, whether you're a king going to battle, being prepared to face that battle and making sure that you have enough uh, enough resources to win it. So likewise, whoever of you doesn't forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. There it is, plain as day. Jesus says, those who are his disciples, if you would follow him and, and find everlasting life and be part of the resurrection of the just, you let go of every claim for everything. He is Lord of all. That is that is the command. That is the reality and there are some who don't want to pay that cost. I hope that's not you, certainly. I hope that's not whoever might hear us. Uh, but it is a reality that we love so many other things. <laughs> so likewise, whoever, you do, whoever of you doesn't forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. And I must say that as I have followed with Jesus, it seems like he is regularly pointing to things in my life, saying, hey, you're still loving this thing like all of it. You're my disciple, Jason. Let go of this thing. I want to be more important to you than this. Because I'm greater than whatever that thing is, even <coughs> if it's my children. The Lord requires those of us. If it's ministry, if it's prominence, if it's money, whatever it is, he has said, you shall have no other gods before him. Because those things aren't really good gods, anyways. But he is. And more importantly, he is the only true God. <laughs> uh, you see, salt is good. 
if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What? What? Why did you say that word? I suggest that maybe this is bringing us back to that place of Jesus as prophet to his friend. Salt is good, guys, but if you aren't salty, you can't be seasoned again. Just judgment is coming. This is a theme he regularly repeats uh, to, the, to the nation. Even as he says, like we read in the previous chapter, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you under my wings as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. as used to hear, let him hear. Um, God is not asking you for 10% of your income. <laughs> He's asking for everything. Because yeah. <laughs> then what we find is that everything becomes holy. <laughs> Everything becomes sacred. Everything becomes an opportunity to act in worship to the King. He truly is Lord of all. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would have mercy on us and that you would continue to root out in us the things that we find in our hearts that we seem to love more than you. All those things are going to be removed and burned up one day anyways. Lord, would you remove them now that we would be faithful, useful um, in your hands in the lives of, of the people around us. I want to be really helpful to my wife. And, and a lot of the time I feel like I'm not. And I want to be really useful, really helpful for my kids. And I, just, I just don't feel like I am. I want to be helpful to, to my boss, to the companies that I work for. Father. I want to be helpful to, to this uh, little community of my friends, of, 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 of others who've said we want to follow Jesus together. I want to be useful. I want to be helpful. Lord. We want to be a blessing. We want for our lives to matter. But help us to remember that you see what no one else sees. Help us to let go of the things that our heart is clinging to, remembering that we cannot love God and money. We cannot serve both God and mammon. So I pray, Father, that you would continue to set us, and not just us, but us as followers of Jesus in the broader community of followers of Jesus continue to set us apart from the ways of the system of the world that just doesn't know you that doesn't trust you Lord help us to be watchful to be careful about the influence of ideas of supposed truths that have little to do with what you have commanded and more to do with people just trying to figure things out while denying you. 
give us wisdom to know the difference. Help us to search these things out. Help us to be wise as serpents, Lord, and gentle as doves. And not to be caught up in the manipulations of um, political leanings, whether to the left or to the right. But to be altogether different. First, children of a great king. who is unlike any of the presidents we've ever elected. King who is himself unelected. (laughs) You are the sovereign one. And I praise you. My Father, I praise you. We praise you, God. Would you shed from us the weight of, of our sin and of our anxieties would you, would you disrobe us of those things and, and clothe us in compassion and mercy and, and in your love and in the ability, with, with the ability to esteem others better than ourselves? Oh, none of these things come naturally to me, Father, and so I know that you must do it in me. Would you please? Please, Father, keep working out your love in our lives. Would you please do it for us? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen, guys. Well, love you guys. Thank you for your patience. Look at that. Right at noon. Boom. (laughs) The Lord bless you and keep you truly. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious with you in the Lord. Lift up his countenance on you and give you peace, you guys. May the peace of God reign in your hearts as you learn more about his kingdom. Love you. Uh, if anybody has anything going on, come grab me, grab somebody, let's pray.